Sadly, it's a false hope. What takes place really is we can lose our identity in ourselves and the God who made us. We can lose connection with our family and our loved ones. And that burden of stress we thought was removed still remains. And even worse, we might be stuck with some drastic change that may have been made to us chemically or surgically. And there's no going back now. We're continuing in this series through being made in the image of God. And we're talking about the issue of transgenderism today and honoring God in our gender. So we're going to try and go back, retrace our steps, if you will, remind ourselves what God has said to us as our loving creator, how he has made us, how he's made our gender. Maybe to look and see how maybe we've distorted some things, maybe some lies that we believed, and maybe finding some disconnect we find with ourselves or others. But ultimately to see how Christ wants to minister to us and meet us in this. So I understand that this is a very personal, very tender topic, very hot topic right now. And let's bring this before our loving and living God and ask Him, to have his spirit reign and rule in this time together. So let's pray. Lord God, we just pray that uh, you would come and send your spirit, open the eyes of our hearts to what you want to say to us through your word, through me, through our sister Linda, and all that you want to do. We pray that the truth would prevail and your grace would prevail and we would walk out of here not hopeless, but full of hope of what you want to do in us and through us. But we also know that this is the ground of the enemy, and he does not like losing ground. So help us to put on your full armor today. Lord, the belt of truth, because you are the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, because you, Lord Jesus, are our righteousness the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, because it is good news for how we can be reconciled and have peace with the living God. And so let us preach that message to ourselves first of all, but then preach it to a world that so desperately needs it. And let it be good news that falls on the hearts of men and women. Help us to put on the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, to hold up the shield of faith, faith to quench the darts of the enemy, Lord, and let us wield the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, that we may fight against the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we invite you to be here, be present, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I want to remind you, again, this is a tender topic, and remind us that every person that you meet, gay or straight, transgender or not, they are made in the image of God. And every person has been affected by the fall of sin. And each of us, whether we're believers or not, have some sort of desire, affection, tendency, or attraction that is contrary to the will and the righteousness of God. And that it is really easy to condemn or vilify or criticize somebody who has a struggle that is not ours, not necessarily ours. 
And we need to be tender, especially in this area, because the entryway for this, this issue is oftentimes pain and hurt. And Satan tries to get his, his hand in here. But this is why Jesus came to save us, came to redeem us. And this is the time to look at his word and look how he wants to save and transform us. So we're going to look again at his word. We're going to start with how God has designed our body, the body designed. Number one, in his image. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. People, we are the crown of God's creation. He made us in His image. And He treasures us so much that He sent His Son for us to walk this life in, in the flesh to redeem us. And we've been called to be stewards and His representatives here on this earth. Number two, God determined our sex or our gender. Verse 27, So God created Mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, God has made us in his image. But he also determined our sex or our gender. And your body is actually a divine indication of what gender you are. How he made you. That is, that is evidence of what God intends for you. And it is his gift. Number three, God made distinctions amongst the, the genders. This is coming from God's law in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman must not wear a men's clothing or a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. This is not a message about women should not wear pants. So that's not where I'm going today. But here's the point. God has given men and women distinct roles and he does not want those roles to be distorted or confused in ourselves or before others and one expression of our gender of our sex is how we dress right it's an expression of our maleness or our femaleness of course that's relative you know if you're in scotland a man's wearing a kilt right so it's not 100, there's no biblical, you know, expression. It's just say, what expresses maleness? What expresses femaleness? Let's not confuse these things. It's what he desires. It's for our good. And he wants us to keep those distinctions. It's the same argument, actually, in the worship that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. It's not ultimately about head coverings. It's ultimately about being distinct. How God has created male and female. That's the ultimate principle. Number two, the body distorted. You see, the fall has affected how we see our bodies. The fall has affected how we see our bodies. Pre-fall, listen to this. This is the commentary at the end of Genesis 2. The man and the woman were naked and unashamed. Okay? We get to chapter 3, where God commands, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
They're tempted by the enemy. They decide to disobey God. And what happens? Verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame entered into the human existence. What changed? What changed? What changed is the man and the woman put themselves in a place they never should have been in to determine what is good and what is evil. That's up to God. And isn't that what's happening in our culture today? Our culture says we're the arbiters of what's good and what's evil. And there's a lot of confusion about that today, isn't there? As a result, they no longer viewed themselves in light of His image, but rather in reference to themselves. And because of that, there is a shame in how they, a body dissatisfaction. A few quotes I came across about some people our world considers beautiful. The actress Penelope Cruz was asked, how does she keep herself so beautiful? She said, I don't view myself as beautiful. I can look good, and I can look ugly. Scarlett Johansson, of Black Widow fame in the, in the Avengers uh, movie um, series, she was called the sexiest woman by Esquire magazine two years in a row. She says, I don't think I'm sexy. I tend to see my flaws in my appearance. Keanu Reeves. Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or John Wick, depending on which fan you are. But he was called the sexiest man by Glamour magazine. He says, I'm neither sexy nor handsome, but I'm not hopeless. The point is, the fall has affected how we see each other, see ourselves even. We look in the mirror. And even the people we consider the most beautiful, the most glamorous, are finding defects, are finding faults, are finding shame there. But how does God respond to this? He does something strange, doesn't He? He takes a precious animal and He sacrifices it to cover the man and the woman in their shame. And ultimately, this is a foreshadowing of what He's going to do in sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that later. But this is how we get here. And so the body becomes demonized. Again, let's remember that we have a real spiritual enemy. He's not this little guy with a pitchfork that we think is a cartoon character. He's a real spiritual enemy who's seeking to deceive us about who God is. He's told men, the man and woman that God was holding out on him them and who we are and one of the one of the areas that he affects that us in is in the area of worship and this is going to seem a little bit strange but hang in here with me this is deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 17 and 18 no israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute you must bring you must not bring the earnings of a female prostitute or a male prostitute into the house of the lord your god to pay any vow because the Lord your God detests them both. Again, 
mankind, the nations especially, have been deceived about who the living God is. And oftentimes we've been deceived in making God into our own image, or the image of the creatures around us. And God has revealed himself about who he is as the holy God, who's the creator of all. And the worship of the nations around them oftentimes are men or women who dress up like the god or the goddess. And in order for you to have union with the god or the goddess, you must have sex with the shrine prostitute, male or female. They're dressed up as, as that representative. And so that's how you know, they're being deceived about who God is and who they are. The Akkadian goddess of transformation is named Ishtar, or also known as Inanna. And she has the power to transform a man into a woman and a woman into a man. So you see how people can be deceived, even in a setting like worship. They're deceived about who God is, they're deceived about who they are, who God has made them. The next point is very important. And much of my sermon rests on this. The definition of the word dysphoria. I don't know what you think the word means. I'll tell you what I thought it meant before I dove into this. Dysphoria in my mind meant confusion. And it certainly has an aspect of that. But literally it means it's something that's stressful. It is hard to bear. So if you have distress or it's hard to bear your gender, you're saying that something is wrong. This is stressful. There's something not right even. You may be saying, this is hard. I, I'm not like, if I'm a man, I'm not like other guys. My interests don't line up with theirs. Or if you're a woman, you say, I'm not like other women. My interests don't line up with theirs. If you're a guy, I'm not into football. I'm not into cars. I'm not into foot, you know, whatever. Whatever you think is stereotypical male, Okay. By the way, the Bible doesn't affirm any of those as being maleness, right? If I'm female, I don't like cooking. In fact, I like power tools. And I'm not always the most sensitive. I tell it like it is. We usually attribute women being sensitive socially, right? So those are not necessarily male or female tri- uh, attributes, but we... You know, our, the enemy uses it to exploit cultural stereotypes. And oftentimes the fear that's there is, I know my body is out of a man, but I don't know that I can be a man. So maybe it's easier for me to be a woman. Or I'm a woman, and I don't necessarily want to be a man, but I'm scared of what it might mean for me to be a woman. So Satan plagues that fear, that burden. And it's, it's irrational. Some of us go, I don't get it. I have no idea what that struggle is. But understand, fear is not always rational. It's just there. That's what's going on. That's what the enemy is trying to influence somebody in. And they're told, 
that you don't have what it takes to be a man, you don't have what it takes to be a woman. And by the way, you're on your own. And that's a lie. Because it is a challenge to be a man. It is a challenge to be a woman. Ask anyone who's a biological man, ask anyone who's a biological woman. It's challenging. However, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll be present in you. In fact, my Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you and bring to fruition what I desire. But that's the lie, right? And where Satan gets a foothold is where we agree with him. And we discount God. Our world says what God has to say is oppressive. Or the Bible is written by just men who are seeking to control us. And if this were not true about me, why do I feel it? Why do I feel it? And we give more credence to our feelings than we do to the truth of the Word of God. And you know what? I I think it's important to acknowledge feelings, but they cannot be the final arbitration of what is true. And maybe this may sound unkind, but I feel like we've entered into Disney theology. I'm going to follow my heart. And yet, the Word of God tells us our hearts can be deceived. It tells us that they're wicked. Who can know it? Jesus comes to change our heart, to say that that's the arbiter of what's true. Again, it's to listen to a lie. We discount God. And we eliminate Him from informing our choices, informing our lifestyle. And so the body is diagnosed. And the God of the sage has affected everything in this world, including our health care. At one time, if you came to a doctor and said, I feel like, if I'm a man, I feel like a woman, or I'm a woman, I feel like a man, you'd be diagnosed with gender identity disorder. It's a disorder. There's something that is not ordered rightly. Something has happened to you to cause this unnatural desire. So we're going to investigate it to find out what's going on there. But now it's, gen- it's diagnosed as gender dysphoria. Again, stress. It's something I have a hard time bearing. Your gender, your physical sex is causing you distress, even depression even. You don't like your body. And our world suggests that maybe that's wrong. Maybe you're in the wrong body. Maybe you're suffering the, the oppression of the social constructs around you. And the solution is to remove what is causing you stress and distress. You want to change your body to get it right. And so our world says you need to enter into a regimen of taking replacement hormones. And they don't always tell you what all the side effects are, but some of which are emotional mood swings that come unannounced and brain fog that makes you unable to function in life. And then the next step is gender reassignment, surgery, to remove body parts that show the distinction of your gender and maybe some, some kind of plastic surgery to get approximation of your new gender, but you'll be set free. 
That's the promise. And what this has ultimately ended up in our society as is body dogma. What I call body dogma. These things are not to be questioned. And those who do so are bigoted or oppressive and they need to be re-educated. And my gender, the new reality is, is, is what I feel. That's my identity. Not the gender I was born with, but the gender I feel. That's the truth. That's the reality. And here's where it gets more, than, more confusing, right? It's not just from male to female to female to male. It, there are all sorts of other kind of genders coming out there. According to, um, let's see, to Rosiah Butterfield, I think I got her name wrong, but they're in 19... Uh, 2022, there are like 72 different genders named out there. You see how confusing this becomes to our whole society? Also, as such, I should have full access to the facilities and the opportunities my new gender affords. That's only fair. And that's created confusion in our bathroom facilities. Conflict is created confusion and conflict in the area of sports where biological males are competing against biological females and they have the advantage of greater lung capacity, greater bone density. These are all verifiable through science and they have a greater capacity of their their muscles as well. There's a little bit overlap, but as far as the two populations, males are far, far more superior. And also just in our prison system. Men are saying they're identifying as women. They say, I should be transferred to a a women's facility. So this is being challenged in our society right now. But it's still out there. It's still, this is where the, the battle is. And I should be addressed by my new name, my preferred pronouns. And to not do so is a microaggression. This is happening in our schools, in our workplace. And also, if I do transition, my previous life should be erased. There should be no pictures of who I was. There should be no reference of memories. I've been reborn, and that old life is gone. That's pretty hard on your loved ones. And it is a right in Minnesota. We are a sanctuary state, whether you know that or not. So, People who come from states where this option is not offered, they can come here and to get treatment. And they can come and they will be sheltered from their parents who, you know, their parents of minors who are kind of going, this is not what we want for our child. They're too young to be making these kind of decisions, but the state says, no, we know better. And even in our own state, if your child identifies as trans and they want to start that process, you as a parent better go along with the program or you may not have access to your child as well. As you can imagine, if this takes place in a child's life, it has an impact on the family and even in the church. I'm going to ask Linda Hunsberger to make her way up here because I want her to share her story and how it's affected her life, her family, 
what she's learned, and even just to share how she's seen God at work and opportunities to minister Christ to people who have the struggle. I got you. for me so I have to figure out how to do this. Um, thank you, Nathan. Covered a lot. Um, there might be some repetition here too. Um, so how am I sounding? Got this? Okay. Um, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James 3.17 this became a guiding verse back in 2014 when our autistic son told us while in college that he was our daughter. Like most parents we've been in contact with, we did not see this coming. In spite of making every effort to respond to this announcement with compassion, uh, he disappeared suddenly six months later. After doing much searching, we learned he had been groomed online by an older man and was taken 1,700 miles away. My husband and I have not seen him since. Initially, we understood we were dealing with some rare condition, something that occurred in a very small percentage of the population. A condition, um, as Nathan mentioned, was once called gender identity disorder, which had been named, uh, renamed gender dysphoria at the time our son came out. As we get, began hearing from one family after another, we soon learned that our story was not rare, but more important, that this disorder had been connected to an entire belief system that is pushing for the deconstruction of the very definition of male and female, that you can be whatever you imagine yourself to be. Even though we gained a far better understanding of this ideology, my hope today is to help you better understand the struggle of these individuals and their families. The Word of God always comes first, but we also need knowledge and understanding of the times as mentioned in 1 Chronicles 12.32. My desire is that, is that this information will help you in this endeavor. By now, you've likely come in contact with a trans-identified person. I feel like this is high yet. Okay. If you haven't, you soon will. According to a 2022 Gallup poll, one in 20 Gen X identify as LGBTQ. In millennials, one in 10 and among Generation Z, one in five. You may be in contact with family, friends, or coworkers who have accepted that these individuals' bodies must change because their minds cannot, or perhaps you've been wrestling with this yourself. Tom and I have been on the front line long enough to see that the gender affirmative model does not ultimately relieve the stress these individuals face. For a time, it offers belonging and even euphoria often leaving the individual with an expectation that the next step in the transition process will be the answer. From social transition to taking wrong sex hormones to undergoing major surgical procedures, what we continue to hear is that the more these individuals attach to this trans identity, the less functional and more self-destructive they become. Some become jobless, homeless, and friendless, and tragically, it's been proven to lead to more suicidality. 
we in Minnesota will come in contact with more trans-identified people as California and Washington State. As Nathan mentioned, Minnesota has become a refuge state for those seeking the promises of affirmative care or life-saving care, as our governor has called it. This can involve taking extreme measures to alter healthy functioning bodies based on a young person's shifting feelings about gender. What has been on my heart is, will we be prepared for the deluge of youth and young adults who have been greatly impacted by this? I appreciate the words of Mark Sanders from Harvest USA, a ministry that helps individuals and families affected by sexual struggles and gender identity. The love of Christ compels us not to cast off these young ones and old with disregard. Instead, we must patiently learn from them and about them, their context, struggles, and worldview. In doing so, we might discover particular opportunities to showcase the glories of our Savior. Learning about the topic has been a great challenge with the ever-changing landscape along with many dimensions. It's political, social, medical, and spiritual. It's very emotional and highly polarized, so it can be easy to jump to conclusions that can be far from the struggler's experience. Even though the church's response to our story was filled with grace and compassion, we were also met with quick assumptions. After our son came out, many well-intentioned people shared copies of Walt Hayer's story with us. Walt underwent a gender reassignment surgery and lived for eight years as a trans woman before detransitioning in 1991. Walt's story was so unlike our son's story and others we were hearing from. It's also Laura Perry Smaltz. She wrote a beautiful book, Transgender to Transformed, but once again, her story varies greatly from other detransitioners. We soon learned that there were many reasons that an individual would find a trans identity alluring, believing that they could find new life apart from God. A recently published book by Sam Andrees called Across the Kitchen Table, thank you, talks about, um, um, it's, it's talking about trans with your teen, offers a helpful chart of boxes for what is under the umbrella of trans. Since these boxes represent well the various ways we've heard about the trans experience, I've chosen them, sorry, I'm like, okay. I've chosen them as an outline to share what we've learned from hundreds of families. The individual may be part of one or more boxes, and these are not necessarily in the order of prevalence. Box number one um, is adult cross-dressing for sexual arousal. When I most hear, when I, where I most often hear of this issue is through the wives of men who have given into this distress, or this desire, I'm sorry. This is a bigger issue than most would believe. I've spoken with several women in our city alone. Porn has almost always been a part of this box. Drag also falls into this category. The second box, the craving to fit in. This is what you've um, likely heard by now as rapid onset gender dysphoria, a term carried, um, coined by Lisa Littman. What started out as mostly a male issue suddenly became a huge issue amongst teen girls. Um, especially in particular peer groups. We witnessed the isolation during COVID bring on a sudden rise of trans girls as time increased on social media or online communities such as subreddits 
and Discord servers. Other great influences were TikTok and um, gender-bending anime. Health professionals have said it has become the new contagion in the same way as cutting, anorexia, and suicide. Box number three, a lurking comorbidity. This includes conditions such as autism, OCD, ADHD, depression, and anxiety. This was a big part of our son's experience. In the early years, it seemed as if all the individuals we came to know showed signs of mental health and personality disorders, autism being on the top. After our son announced, um, son announced I did a quick search and, um, of the words autism and transgenderism, and it took me to a report in the UK stating that one-third of the patients showing up at the largest JIDs, which is uh, Gender Identity Development Service, uh, clinic were on the spectrum. Recent reports say it's more likely as high as 60%. These individuals can be very vulnerable. Taking up a trans identity provides an answer for their distress, research um, reasons for not fitting in, and promises a new life. Puberty can be especially difficult, and fixation, fixation on the solutions becomes uh, quite common. Many have stumbled into communities uh, through gaming and online chat groups, or gaming itself provides opportunity to take on an alluring form of one's own making. Tumblr is where our son made his connection. It is now well understood that this is the place where grooming was prevalent, as many detransitioners will attest. The fourth box, desiring a trans identity due to body alienation. This is understood by trauma experts to be a defense against psychological traumas from the past. From my experience, um, in this area, these individuals tend to be less likely to be in the next box, activist box. We've had a, a sweet gal who identified as trans asked to live with us while knowing we held a biblical view of gender and sexuality. They may be seeking safety. Um, one of the areas where schools offering a safe space might actually be appropriate. The last box, activism, um, this has become more and more prevalent. This is often a passion for a particular ideology. They may identify as trans without a struggle uh, with gender or sexuality, but latch on to the appeal of being part of an oppressed group or feelings of having a, a special knowledge. It's also becoming more common to hear non-binary as a trans identity. Sadly, we often see family members of trans identifying of a trans-identifying child become an activist as well, especially siblings. These unrealistic and unprecedented demands cause a great amount of distress on, um, and it often fractures families. The strain on marriages can be detrimental. Imagine the difficulty of, that one parent holds um, to the biological sex and the other goes along with their imagined sex. Whether family members choose to affirm or not, it takes a toll. Parents frequently find themselves very alone and isolated as what society and their loved ones are telling them leaves them overwhelmed, confused, and filled with a sense of failure. They're told to trust the experts or trust the science, but there is no consensus. Parents are often accused of being unloving and transphobic. We've heard of numerous ways um, they have been betrayed by health professionals, leaving them uncertain of whom they can trust. If they identify, um, 
if this new identity is not being concealed from them, which happens here in our state and city schools, they witness society rushing their child down a path that leads to medicalization. They not only feel helpless, but constrained to do anything. Witnessing effects of medicalization to change the body to match the mind is excruciating. They soon find the mounting evidence pointing to the ill effects of taking wrong sex hormones um, and the complications that come with chest and genital surgeries. They want so much to stop this irreversible damage, but feel their hands are tied as their child battles against every cell of their body. This parent described the pain that so many feel. This has been true for me as well. What no one tells you is that the son we have adored for almost 25 years no longer exists, and his removal from our shared family history and lives is self-inflicted. He has erased himself. We cannot talk about him in the past unless we want to be accused of dead naming or misgendering. We cannot reminisce about family vacations, the sports he played, the things he said or did. But I had a son, not a daughter. Speaking his new name and gender is an affront to us. It feels like a punch in the gut every time I hear it. We have lost a son from whom we cannot publicly mourn. Pastor Nathan has asked me for some next steps. Now, this can be challenging as these situations are so individual, but hopefully these seven points will help in preparing you for action. Number one, debating is not helpful. This causes the defenses to go up. Rather, seek understanding. Even if we disagree, our patient listening lets them know we value them. Find the broken places where Christ can be the answer. Remember, words and tone matter. Make sure to understand what people mean by asking them questions. Number two, this is ultimately a heart issue. <clears throat> they believe the lie, too, as uh, Nathan also pointed out, the Disney um, theology, or whatever you want to call it. Follow your heart rather than commit our hearts to God. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, James 1.14. But before we can be effective, we need to search our own hearts. What are our motives? What are our fears? What is it that we desire? Is our ultimate goal for their salvation and his glory? Or is it to be right? Number three, Prayerfully seek wisdom and discerning, discernment regarding preferred pronouns. This one's a struggle. Just, it's a huge struggle with, with families, and I know it is in our culture as well. Um, numerous parents and detransitioners, desisters and detransitioners, will tell you that pronoun hospitality is not the loving thing to do. The ramifications of this choice is no small thing. Even from a secular professional stance, it is said that you are participating in a very powerful intervention. Responding requires a great amount of humility and compassion. Remember, there is often much suffering behind this dance, as mentioned above. A chance at this new life that offers salvation is powerfully alluring. And from a parent's perspective, they now understand that their children have been inculcated to go no contact if they do not comply sometimes leading to estrangement. But as one detransitioner said, 
that family standing on truth was the one stable element in my out-of-control life. We never imagined we would witness such a surge of Matthew 10, 36 in our lifetime, and a person's enemies will be those of, the, of his own household. How true are Paul's words to Galatians? Have I become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? I agree with Aaron Mel, um, I'm sorry, Ellen Mary Dykus from Harvest USA. Regardless of society's sway, we can only be truly loving, loving and offer authentic relationships by living faithfully for Jesus. First John 5.2 says, By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Faithfulness to Christ compels us to speak truthfully in his name regarding all things, including pronouns. Number four. Take proactive steps now to train young people in a biblical worldview so that they can resist these unfolding dangerous ideas. I'm so thankful for our ministry leaders here as they are doing this very thing. Number five, this is primarily a spiritual battle. With the culture's heavy emphasis on the political, social, and medical aspects, we can quickly forget this. Even non-Christian parents have expressed awareness of this battle and have said things like, it's as if someone captured my daughter and changed her out for someone else, or I'm religious, but this is of the devil. Many parents discover their children are heavily involved in the occult. Um, This brings families to their knees, for we know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. A faithful mom and friend whose daughter has taken social, medical, and surgical measures shared this. Though all of these days and nights of crying out to God, we have realized more than ever, at the root of it all, all the confusion is the father of lies, and the overarching battle is a spiritual battle The gender deception that is upon us is not easily lifted. It's unreasonable, demanding, and destructive. It is an invasive and persuasive, horrible lie that is stealing sons and daughters and demanding social acceptance in every sphere of culture. We're not battling for our, we're not only battling for our daughter, for individuals, but against the principalities and spiritual powers of darkness. Thanks for bearing with me. I have one half of a page left here. Number six, pray. The Apostle Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.4. And James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The same mom above shared these words. Pray for discernment and understanding to know the incredible greatness of God's power. He is far above all powers and rulers. God has given us a place of victory to pray through Jesus and his resurrection power. Pray for strongholds of wrong thinking to be torn down by the power of the Spirit and his word. Pray that the veil be lifted and truth seen. Number seven, get support. If any of this is part of your story, I encourage you to seek out wise brothers and sisters grounded in scripture. When our son came out in 2014, our pastor and elders in Wisconsin had no experience in this area, 
but they supported us in prayer and a willingness to walk alongside us as we navigated these complex issues. I caution you in seeking out the experts in this area. Some experts, even in the church with good intentions, lean heavily on the experience and emotions, neglecting a biblical lens. These are challenging issues, and worldly counsel has played a part in derailing the faith of many. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Psalms 32.8 Lastly, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23. So what our sister shared with us is pretty sobering and maybe seems beyond hope. Um, let me say it's not true. And maybe in listening to this, um, you may feel ashamed or distressed of your body for some reason, whether that's a desire to transition or just what's going on with your body. Or maybe you just feel shame in general. And this is where the gospel intersects with all of this. What God has done to meet us to cover our shame, to restore His identity of His image in us. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live to put on flesh, to live the perfect life, and to die in our place. He was innocent. And yet the death he died was shameful. That of a criminal. That was the epitaph over his head. This man, you know, Jesus, King of the Jews, which they thought was illegal. And most likely he died naked. Our pictures have a loincloth on him, but most likely he was stripped naked to be embarrassed and shamed. And yet he took on our shame. And the scripture says in Isaiah 52, 14, that many were appalled at him. He was disfigured by beatings beyond that of any man and marred beyond human likeness. But here's the point. He took upon himself our shame our sin, our punishment, because we usurped the place of God. And he took that pain and that shame upon himself. And then he rose again from the dead and was transfigured into a beautiful resurrected body. So through faith in him, we can start to deal with these issues. John 1.12 says, to as many as received him, even those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And so, while that doesn't mean that life's challenges go away, even feelings that we're not sure of go away, we know that we have the resources of the kingdom of God at our disposal. The truth of his word, the sword of the spirit, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, and the love and support and encouragement and accountability of the body where Christ dwells in each believer. And I want to remind you that He is the change agent. He's the one at work. 
He's the one who brings a holy transformation, if you will. Just reminding you of the truth of God's Word that says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. But also reminding you that the Christian life as a race is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the God that we know who works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to your purposes, that same God is committed to conforming us to the image of His Son. And reminding us that this earthly existence is not all there is. We're living for something greater than this life. And there will be a day, there will be a day, we will all be made new. We'll be fully transformed. And who we are will be fully revealed. This is what Philippians chapter 3, verses 20-21 through 21 says. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. That is what our God is doing. That is where He's taking history. That's where He's taking us who have our faith in Him. I'm going to ask Bobby and the worship team to come and close us. But let me close us in a word of prayer here at the end of this message. Lord, we are so grateful that you want to speak the truth to us even when we are warped by sin and the enemy is whispering lies into our hearts and minds. Give us grace to believe you, the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, and the truth that we are not alone in our struggles, no matter what they are. And you're the God who is in the process of making us more like Jesus Christ. And you will not stop till you are done. We are indeed your workmanship. And we look forward to the one day where all the stress, all the hurt, all the pain, all the struggle will be done away with. And we can just simply be in your presence knowing you. We're grateful for this good word today. And Lord Jesus, it's your name I pray these things. Amen. Would you stand?